I do this every year after Jasper camp. I kind of summarize what I taught the kids. And I like to do that partly because it's really fresh on, on my mind and on my heart, and partly because after Jasper camp, the day after Jasper camp, when our house has exploded, and it, I just can't write a new sermon. So you get so those of you who are at Jasper camp, apologies in advance. You've heard all this. Um, but those of you who weren't, most of you, happy to share this with you. So this was our theme for the week, the ultimate hero. We talked about heroes a lot, um, partly because I'd spent all summer catching up on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so all the, the superhero movies. I was caught all the way up, except for the, the latest one, um, and I wanted to rent it in time for camp, and I didn't, and all the kids yelled at me. Um, but So I had superheroes on the brain, but also because I know, knew we were going to Mount Robson, and five minutes down the road from Mount Robson is Mount Terry Fox, and I knew I was going to bring the kids to Mount Terry Fox, because Terry Fox is a hero to me. And I know that's super cliche. I know if you're Canadian, yeah, he's kind of like our national hero. We get it. But there's something about his story that actually deeply resonates with me and is really meaningful to me. And I'm thankful that every September at the school, we celebrate Terry Fox and we watch the same little video. And I get all misty-eyed every time because it's deeply inspiring to me. Um, Terry Fox is a hero to all Canadians because of the way he selflessly gave of himself to serve and to help people who are hurting in the same way as him. So the first uh, night that we talked, the theme was heroes have a mission and an enemy. And for Terry Fox, that enemy was the enemy within. He had cancer to defeat. Um, The Avengers, the superheroes, they have an enemy without. There's a, a known enemy that they have to fight. And Jesus isn't really like that. And, and I'm not really like that. And we're not supposed to see life like that, that there's all these enemies attacking us. I think the best way to see it is like Terry Fox, that there's an enemy inside of us that Jesus, his mission is to, to defeat. So we talked about, here's this for some nice light first night banter. We talked about cancer a lot. Um, the characteristics of Terry Fox's enemy cancer is that it, it's life deformed and not like it's supposed to we have a medical doctor in the house so kevin please excuse me if this is totally inaccurate i got it off the internet though and the internet is never wrong so this is some of the, the i got a list of like seven characteristics of cancerous cells and here's a few of them cells cancer cells divide out of control that whatever is inside them that shut them down and kill them is not active and so they just they multiply out of control and they never reach maturity like they're supposed to they also avoid the immune system which is very sneaky of them and uh, so your body can't rid itself like it's just rid that like it's supposed to and then of course cancer grows and spreads and does tremendous damage to, to organs and, and tissue as you know so that's what physical cancer does. That's the That was the enemy within Terry Fox. And Terry Fox's mission then was to bring hope and peace and life for those who are struggling with this. That was his mission. Jesus, who is the obviously the ultimate hero we talked about all week, he likewise had a mission. He, in fact, tells us what that mission is. In Luke chapter 4, walks into a synagogue, his home synagogue, unrolls a scroll and reads it. And it's um, from Isaiah. Uh, so this is Luke 4, 16 to 21. 
He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, which is this really bombastic thing to say. It actually, the people were so, they thought it was blasphemy, they wanted to throw him off a cliff, literally. But that is Jesus' inaugural words for his mission. In the very next chapter, so that's, he declares what his mission is, and then in the very next chapter, he begins to fulfill his mission. So in Luke 5, he heals a leper, which when you heal a leper, you don't just heal their body, which is great enough. It also allows them to rejoin their community and be part of their family, um, their villages. They can be, their whole person is healed when you're healed of leprosy. They are basically a brand new, fully redeemed person. And so Jesus does that. He then heals a paralytic. That's the friends who lower the paralytic down from the roof. And Jesus, actually, before he heals the paralytic, says, I see your faith of your friends. Your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't just heal the body again. He heals all of him. heals his soul, even, as well as his body. And then the next story is Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, and Levi says, hey, this is great. Come party with my sinner friends. So Jesus goes and has a party with tax collectors and prostitutes, which shows that his mission is for everyone. It's for everyone. As long as one thing, as long as you know how sick you are. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. I didn't come to call those who think they're good enough. I came to call those who know they're broken and sinful. Um, that's who needs a doctor. And so Jesus is that doctor who brings life and healing to those who are sick. That was Jesus' mission, to bring life to those who are longing for it, for the, the broken, the lonely, the shamed, and the suffering, those who had been marginalized, those who had been routinely oppressed. So he had a mission, but he also faces an enemy. For me, like Terry Fox, the enemy is internal. It's, it's inside of me. I am my own enemy that Jesus frees me from. Like cancer, I am out of control and immature without Jesus. Those are two of the characteristics of cancer cell. That's, that's me without Jesus, out of control, immature. Like cancer, my brokenness and sinfulness spreads and grows, and yours does too, and it grows and spreads together, and it becomes this whole cancer that humanity cannot escape on its own. Like cancer, I too tend to avoid immunity. I tend to avoid that which would bring me life. That being Jesus. So sin is like a deadly cancer. It's like leprosy. It's contagious. It's like the paralyzed man. Sin it leaves us paralyzed, unable to move out of it ourselves. It turns me into like the people that, that Jesus was partying with. Sin turns me into how those people were seen. Filthy, unlovable, unlikable, self-centered. It makes me that person. But Jesus knows that and he's unafraid of that. And his heroic mission proves he's not afraid of it. So Jesus came back to, or not came back, he came to bring life and healing to our entire self, all of us, soul, body, mind, heart. All of me is fixed and redeemed by Jesus. My sexuality, my vision in life, my 
Everything about me is redeemed by Jesus. We just need to recognize how sick we are first. So that's the first night. Lesson two, we talked about how, um, of all the superheroes, Superman is my least favorite. I, I, I hate Superman. Sorry if that offends you. But Superman's the worst because he can do literally everything. Um, he can stop a bullet with his eyes. He, can, he has x-ray visions with his eyes. And one of the kids says, oh, yeah, he also shoots lasers from his eyes, which is, that's just his eyes. That's totally unfair. He, anything you need Superman to do, literally, he can do. And that's just cheating. It's not, it's not a compelling superhero. He has endless powers. He does have one weakness, and that's kryptonite. But unending power. And we compare that to Jesus, Jesus who has unending power. In Luke 8, there's these series of stories. First, he, he calms the storm with merely a word. He's in the boat. The disciples are terrified. The storm's going to kill them all. He says, knock it off, and the storm stops. And they say, who is this guy? With just a word, he calms the storm. It's in the Bible, Sharon. That really happened. With merely a word, he calms the storm. Um, he then casts out demons from a hurting man with great strength. This hurting man, this demon-possessed man, has great strength. And Jesus, with just a word, heals this man. On his way then, the very next story, he's on his way to heal a sick little girl. And he gets this holy interruption. This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. He's so powerful, just the hem of his robe is enough to heal. And she just touches the robe and instantly she's healed. Because she knows she's sick and she knows who her doctor can be. And so Jesus redeems this woman. But meanwhile, while he's on his way to heal this sick girl, the girl dies. But Jesus is more powerful than death. And so he conquers death with just a word. Again, with just a word, with just the hem of his robe, that's how powerful he is. All that power over the natural world, calming the storm, over the supernatural world, exercising demons, over suffering like this woman who was bleeding, and over even death like this little girl. Jesus has power over all of it. And yet, Superman has a weakness. Does Jesus have a weakness? Well, in Luke 9, so the very next chapter, the disciples wrestle with the same question they had in the boat, who is this guy? Jesus, in fact, asked them, who do people say I am? And some say this, some say this. And Jesus says, no, who do you say I am? And Peter, because it's always Peter, settles on, well, you're the Messiah, obviously. Jesus, immediately after that, tells them, I am the Messiah, but I must suffer I must be rejected, and I must be executed. And the disciples are like, what? What are you talking about? If you're the we see all this power you have, calming storms, exercising demons, bringing dead people back to life, and you're telling us that you're going to die? That doesn't make any sense to them. Wouldn't make any sense to me either. Isn't he the Messiah? Doesn't he have power over death? They don't understand. But in Philippians 2, which we've been studying, it makes clear what that is. Philippians 2 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So starts as God, becomes man, becomes slave, becomes executed criminal. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Down, 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 way back up. 
Jesus willfully degrades himself constantly from God to slave. Why? Why does he take on that weakness? Why does in all this cosmic power he choose to become weak? Well, because both demonstrate his love. His power and his weakness show his love. He uses his power to show love to people who know they need it and know he has it. But his choice to empty himself of power and embrace weakness is also a demonstration of love, a heroic example to follow. He uses his power to love and he uses his weakness to love because love is his ultimate superpower. That's his power. And love is a willful weakness for the sake of someone else. Every time I love someone, I'm allowing myself to die a little bit for the benefit of someone else. Love is a willful weakness for the sake of the one we are loving. But only in that weakness are we strong, like a hero. So heroes have power and weakness. Lesson three. Heroes embrace sacrifice and service. We talked about heroic last words from some movies. I won't go into it now, especially because Kevin and Sam and I found out that one of the movies I quoted, I totally misquoted, so I'm not even going to go into it. But Jesus' last words are significant because they're to his disciples who would change the world. In the meantime, though, there are a bunch of buffoons. In Luke 22, 14 to 27, um, Jesus highlights their ridiculousness and I didn't write that down, so I'm going to read it real quick. So they, he does communion. He does the, the, bre- the bread and the, the wine. And they begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would betray Jesus. The, that's the sop that Lucy talked about. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So these bumbling fools who have Jesus saying, I'm going to die for you tomorrow. And these guys... Who could betray? Well, not me. I I mean, I'm the one who did this. And I'm so great because I did this. And immediately they start to argue over which of them is greatest in the presence of Jesus, who is the greatest. It's so human. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So those are some of his last words to his disciples. In John 13, Kevin mentioned it earlier, he washes the disciples' feet. That is the lowest slave's job, and Jesus did it, washed their feet. And it says this in John 13, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And we had hiked Mount Edith Cavell that day. So I painted the picture of Mount Edith Cavell in all her glory and beauty and splendor, bending down and picking up a little stone from the river, a dirty old stone, and lifting it up for all the other mountains and say, look how beautiful this stone is. And that's what Jesus does for the disciples here, and that's what he does for us. In fact, he doesn't just do it for the disciples. He washes our feet like a servant too, through the actions that that would happen the very next morning. He washes our feet, and he washes all of us, not just our feet. The crucifixion is the ultimate act of sacrifice and service. In the movies we talked about, we looked how it wasn't just word, it was also action. And that's true for Jesus too. It's, he didn't just say to sacrifice, he became sacrifice. He didn't just say to serve others, he continually serves others. 
Um, we looked at a story in Matthew 20 that's very similar. James and John's mother asked for places of honor for his sons, which is a very motherly thing to do. And it sets the disciples bickering with one another over who's great again. And Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles loaded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in the very next story, what does Jesus do? He serves a couple of blind guys by giving them their sight back. So heroes serve others, and they make sacrifices. And so the lesson for the kids and for me and and everyone is we tend to think that like the disciples, we are so great that we are greater than those around us, that we've got it all figured out. Or we tend to think that we're like that tiny, dirty little pebble, that no one could ever think we are lovely or valuable. Both of those things are lies, equally lies. When we think we're too great or we think we're unloved and unvaluable, they're both lies. Our greatest hero of all put aside his greatness to love and serve and bring life to these people who bicker about how great they are or who think that they're unlovable and unworthy. We can never earn it, but we can respond with thankfulness. We can never be fully satisfied. We never seem to be fully satisfied. And yet he keeps on sacrificing and serving because that's what great heroes do. And finally, the last night, heroes inspire others to follow. I talked about how on my drive through Canada to get to Ontario, how I love driving the path that Terry Fox walked. I love being, seeing the places he saw us, sometimes literally stepping on places where he stepped, and it's very inspiring to me uh, to run in his steps. And we talked about how in ancient Palestine there was a saying that you studied and memorized the scriptures. By 12, they knew who the best um, scholars were, and so those ones got to study a little more, the rest of the Bible, and memorize it. And the best of the best of the best would then, when they were about 16, be accepted by a rabbi to follow the rabbi around literally everywhere he goes, to learn what he learns and do what he does. And there's a saying for the best of the best of the best. And the saying was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you follow so closely to your rabbi that as he walks around, you take up his dust. And I love that. And so we looked at different calls of people and how they were covered in the dust of their rabbi. First, we looked at Peter who in the miraculous catch of fish says, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. That's his first response to Jesus when he recognizes who Jesus is. I can't be around you. I'm a broken, sinful man. I'm not the best of the best. But for Peter, he says, I'm a sinner. I'm not the best of the best, but my rabbi is powerful and his rabbi gives him a mission, a mission of sacrifice and service. And Peter gives up everything to follow him. Then we looked in Luke 10, the story of Mary and Martha, And Martha's running around getting everything ready for Jesus, all the chores, all the cooking and everything. And Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha says, Lord, doesn't it bother you that I'm doing all this work? And Jesus says, which is a totally revolutionary thing, Mary, a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi, which is unheard of in those days, is doing the right thing and it won't be taken from her. So Mary and Martha learn My rabbi is more powerful than social norms, and he gives me a mission. And that mission is put aside your busyness, which is what Madison had talked about. She learned at Jasper Camp. Put aside your busyness and listen quietly. 
Put aside your busyness and listen quietly at the feet of your, who, no matter who you are. This woman shouldn't be doing this according to her culture, and Jesus invites her to do it anyway. Then we looked at Luke 17, the story of the 10 lepers. Jesus heals 10 lepers. They all run away excited, and one, only one, comes back and says, thank you. My rabbi is powerful, and he heals me because I'm willing and because I'm faithful. And then he gives me a mission to respond with thanks. Then we looked at John the Baptist in the book of John, chapter 1 and 3. John, who's the greatest man who lived before Jesus, Jesus himself says that. When, he, when John sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. This is the guy I was telling you about. I'm just the hype man. I'm just, getting, I'm just the opening act. I'm just getting you ready for that guy. And here he is, John, in all his fame, and all his radical goodness, still points to Jesus. And in John 3, he actually says what we sang earlier, I must decrease that he can increase. I must become less so Jesus can become more. So John learned, there he is, and my whole mission is to make him known. I am willing to sacrifice my own greatness. In other words, I decrease, sorry, in order to bring him glory so he can increase. I decrease so he can increase. Jesus inspires many to follow him because of his power, his love, and his service, because, because of the life that he offers and the beautiful mission he invites us into. But it isn't easy. And cross-carrying, dust-covered discipleship is tricky business. In fact, in John 6.60, many disciples are drawn to Jesus, and he has this really hard teaching, and they're like, this is too hard, can't do it, we're out. Many, many people leave because his teaching's too hard, and he turns to his 12 disciples, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, because it's always Peter, says, to whom else would we go? Your words alone give life. You have the words that give eternal life. Where else would we go for that? So no, we're not going to turn around as hard as it is. It's hard, but following our heroic rabbi is right and good. In my life, I've been first, I've been Peter number one, who says, I'm just a sinner, get away from me. I've been Peter number two, who's willing to give up everything to follow him. I've been Martha, busying myself with all this extra stuff and not focusing on what's important. And I've been Mary, sitting quietly and humbly in his presence. I've been the nine lepers, getting from Jesus and running away without even a thank you. And I've been the one who recognizes what Jesus has done. I've been John the Baptist wondering, could this be the Messiah? Because there's a place in the Bible where he sends his followers out to do that. Is, are you who you, we think you are? So I've been John the Baptist wondering, but I've also been John the Baptist willing to give him the glory he deserves. I've turned away because it's too hard. A lot of things Jesus calls us to are hard, sometimes too hard. And I've been guilty of turning away, but he continually draws me back to pick up my cross and to find love and life. Where else would I go? Who's other, who else has dust that is worthy to be covered in than Jesus? What other dust could I ever want? And so I accept his missions. The mission to give up everything to catch others for his kingdom. The mission to listen humbly and quietly despite how the world or our church insists on busying itself. The mission to respond to his love with thanks and praise. The mission to become less so he can become greater. The mission to follow so close to him that I'm caked in his dust, even if I'm not the best of the best of the best. And I definitely am not. So Jesus shows us what real heroics look like, and he inspires us to heroism as well. So in conclusion, heroes have a mission. 
we too can have the same mission of sacrifice and love and life and being covered in the dust of our rabbi. Heroes have power and weakness. We only experience true power when we acknowledge how weak we are and let his power fill us and shine through us, like it says in 2 Corinthians 4. Our power comes in our weakness because then he shines through. And heroes make sacrifices to serve others. That's our greatest calling, to sacrifice and serve others, even if we aren't the best of the best of the best. And heroes inspire followers. The more we get covered in his dust, the more seriously we take his missions of love and life and service, the more we let his power shine through our weakness, then the more we will be a beacon of hope and peace and joy to the fellow sick people in our neighborhood who are in need of a doctor, just like us. If we know our hero, we can be heroes. So that's what I taught the kids. It was a valuable set of lessons for me to chew on, and I hope it was for you as well. Um, he comes to bring life. There's a lot of deformed life, cancerous growth in me, and he comes to heal that because he's a hero. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to us in power and in weakness, in love and in sacrifice and service. Thank you that you call us to follow you as weak and as broken and as much as we aren't the best of the best. You call each one of us to follow and love and serve even though we're sinners. I pray that you would help us to be heroic and heroic in the small things. Like, like Sam said earlier, the, the ordinary people who do extra things. We're not extraordinary. We're small people who do extra things. Help us to be heroic in that sense. Help us to know that even though we're a tiny pebble, that you, the great mountain, lift us up. That you love us and you see value and worth and beauty in us. And help us to be people who catch others just like you told Peter. Help us to let your love shine through us so that others are drawn to him. So help us to be truly heroic in that way, in how we love and how we follow and how we serve. We pray these things, Holy Spirit, that you do them in us through the name of Jesus. Amen. He continually draws me back to pick up my cross and to find love and life. Where else would I go? Who else has dust that is worthy to be covered in than Jesus? I got it off the internet, though, and the internet is never wrong. So...